جز 7 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم I begin in the name of Allah, compassionate to all, merciful to each. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the seventh episode in this podcast series titled Journeying Our Eyes Through the Quran, Exploring 30 Juz in 30 Days. Today, inshallah, we will continue our journey through the pages of the Quran as we take a brief look into the seventh juz of the Quran, which contains the latter 38 verses of Surah Al-Ma'idah and the first 110 verses of Surah Al-An'am, the cattle. In yesterday's episode, we began a discussion on taqwa and ethical goodness, and that the quality and intention of an action is a part of the action itself, as mentioned in the hadith of Imam Sajjad that we went through. In another famous tradition that we have all heard, which has been narrated through Sahih chains in both Sunni and Shi'i traditions, from Rasulullah he says, Meaning, indeed actions are according to their intentions. As we enter the seventh juz of the Qur'an today, keep this concept in mind as the question of what goodness and taqwa is becomes a little more complicated. The seventh juz opens up with a discussion of Christians and their salvation in verses 82 to 86 of Surah Al-Ma'idah, which we will now read. يقولون ربنا آمنا فاكتبنا مع الشاهدين وما لنا لا نؤمن بالله وما جاءنا من الحق ونطمع أن يدخلنا ربنا مع القوم الصالحين فأثابهم الله بما قالوا جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها وذلك جزاء المحسنين When they hear what has been revealed to the apostle, you see their eyes fill with tears because of the truth that they recognize. They say, Our Lord, we believe, so write us down among the witnesses. Why should we not believe in Allah and the truth that has come to us, eager as we are that our Lord should admit us among the righteous people? So for what they said, Allah requited them with gardens, with streams running in them, to remain in them forever, and that is the reward of the virtuous. These verses are said to have been revealed with regards to Najashi, the Christian king of Abyssinia, who gave refuge to some of the early Muslimin. They had migrated there at the behest of Rasulullah in light of their fear for their lives and their property at the hands of the polytheists and Quraysh in Mecca. Some commentators and some hadith, as narrated in Tafsir al-Qummi, contend that after hearing the verses of the Qur'an, from the Muslims that had migrated there, Najashi converted to Islam and concealed his faith. In fact, it says that he tried to meet Rasulullah, but died along the way. Regardless of the veracity of this, 
the discussion today that is relevant for us is whether or not non-Muslims can also achieve salvation and paradise, as seems to be indicated in the verses that we just read. This mention of their salvation, or their rewards, is not unique to the surah or to the verses that we read, and it's something that we see throughout the Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seemingly promises heaven and rewards for non-Muslims. At the same time, however, the Qur'an also establishes truth and the veracity of Rasulullah and the Qur'an as the final one true message. How can both of these be true? To answer this question, we will explore a few angles of it. First, there is the Aqa'idi answer, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised paradise for those who used to live during the times of the previous prophets, and followed them, as well as people who lived between these prophets. This is on the condition that they believed in and followed the message of previous prophets whose sharia had not yet been abrogated. On the other hand, after the advent of Islam, there are also those who may have been oppressed where they lived, misguided such that they were presented a distorted image of Islam, or maybe who didn't know about Islam, and perhaps had an excusable type of ignorance that did not stem from their own deliberate negligence and rejection of the truth. For them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that their affair is in his hands, and that it is very possible he may choose to forgive them. Note the following verses from Surah An-Nisa, verses 98 to 99. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim إِلَّا الْمُسْتَضْعَفِينَ مِنَ الرِّجَالِ وَالنِّسَاءِ وَالْوِلْدَانِ لَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ حِيلَةً وَلَا يَهْتَدُونَ سَبِيلًا فَأُولَئِكَ عَسَى اللَّهُ أَنْ يَعْفُوَ عَنْهُمْ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ عَفُوًا غَفُورًا Except the weak from among men, women, and children who have not in their power the means, nor can they find a way to escape. Maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will excuse them, for Allah is all-excusing, all-forgiving. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala judges these people according to their God-seeking intentions and good deeds, like giving charity, and really of how much they used to do good according to the proportion of the truth that they knew. This acceptance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is out of his mercy and compassion. It doesn't mean that these people reached the truth, but that even though they fell short of it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to reward them out of his justice and his mercy, since they acted on what they knew. When we understand the explanation like this, we can see more easily how there is no contradiction between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promising some truth-seeking non-Muslims paradise while at the same time emphasizing the absolute truth and veracity of the Qur'an as the final message and book of guidance. It does not recognize multiple truths. This is also in accordance with the definition of taqwa which is provided by Ayatullah Jawadi Amuni in his book Kiramat Dar Qur'an, or Nobility in the Qur'an, which has been translated into English. Here, he designates taqwa as having two main components, belief or knowledge, and action. We can see how this is similar to what we discussed in the previous episode, where we denoted an action to be good when it has both the form, as legislated, and the intention to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this definition that Ayatullah Jawadi gives is slightly more detailed. When somebody comes to know something of the truth, 
through rational or experiential means, they now have the responsibility to act on it. When they act according to this knowledge and the truth that they have recognized, this is a certain grade of taqwa. The more they know and the more they act according to what they know, the higher levels of taqwa they will achieve. This is what it means to be truly God-conscious. When one knows and does not act on it, i.e. they sin or reject the message, this is the antonym of taqwa and the equivalent of kufr or rejection. In a hadith narrated from Imam Zain al-Abidin who narrates from the Injil, it says, Do not seek knowledge of what you do not know when you have not yet acted on what you do know because if knowledge is not acted upon, its possessor will have only advanced in ingratitude or kufr, and he will only have advanced in his distance from God. The previous explanation that we gave today of the salvation of other non-Muslims probably makes more sense now, as we see that in Allah's all-encompassing justice, He judges people based on their levels of taqwa, and their level of taqwa will wholly depend on what they know of the truth and what they were capable of knowing of the truth and whether or not they acted on this. If there is a Christian who knows something of the truth and they act according to whatever they know, as is the case mentioned in these verses, they will attain a certain level of felicity and taqwa out of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy, even though they have not yet discovered the whole truth or the entirety of the truth. This is because they were perceptive and worked hard on whatever they knew of the truth. They had a level of taqwa. As a person comes to recognize more and more of the truth, the level of taqwa they achieve depends on how much they act on it. A few verses later in Surah Al-Ma'idah, more context is given to this concept. It seems that there were some Muslims who were concerned about the fact that they had committed certain sins in the past like eating forbidden foods, like alcohol, extensively, when they didn't know and it hadn't been a legislated part of religion. Here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, There will be no sin upon those who have faith and do righteous deeds in regards to what they have eaten in the past so long as they are God-weary and faithful, and do righteous deeds, and are further God-weary and faithful, and are further God-weary and virtuous, and Allah loves the virtuous. In this verse, taqwa is mentioned several times in a row, and this has attracted the attention of different commentators, like Ayatul Nasir Makarim Shirazi, in his tafsir, Tafsir Nimuneh, where he explains that it's possibly referring to three types of taqwa. Each time the phrase taqwa is repeated, possibly denotes a different level of taqwa. The first phrase mentioned in the verse, إِذَا مَتَّقَوْ وَآمَنُوا وَعَمِنُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ 
which means that those who are God-weary and believe and do righteous actions, perhaps means a group of people who faith has not necessarily entered their hearts, but they still believe rationally and they act on what they know and they do good. There are forms of guidance that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has granted to all of us, including our fitrat and aqal. So there are some things that we're rationally capable of figuring out without scripture and then responsible for acting on. This is a basic level of taqwa which we're all responsible for and is possibly being alluded to in this part of the verse. The second level mentioned after this, he argues that it's possibly a taqwa that is the result of our actions in the first part where we rationally accepted something, we acted on it. But now, faith has increased and entered and permeated our hearts. This is when our faith is so strong that actions are almost natural to our heart. The phrase doesn't mention amil salihat as it did in the previous phrase, perhaps because the faith has entered us so much that our actions are a part of it, so it doesn't need to be mentioned separately. And lastly, the verse ends with that they are God-weary and they do good. They are virtuous. Wallahu yuhibbul muhsin And that Allah loves the ones who do good. Over here he mentions that these are the ones, high, the higher level of taqwa, where they are doing good actions that are not even legislated upon them, like the mustahabbat. When we look at all of these explanations together, we are able to understand the beauty and wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His incredible mercy and justice, and understand that He gives all humans what they deserve. What He expects from us is to work and to try as much as we can. Throughout the Qur'an, one of the major messages is to embark on a process of tahqiq and self-realization, to look at our creation, to reflect on our purpose, and to reflect on calls to guidance and to act on them. We will end with verse 105 of Surah Al-Ma'idah with a beautiful reminder and call to the faithful. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wassallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammadin wa alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh